as I mentioned at the start of worship this morning, today's homily is a little heavy. And I confess to you that I have um, been nervous about sharing it. In today's gospel lesson, we hear about the prophet, prophets. It's in the Old Testament lesson too, Jeremiah, the young prophet. And as we see in our gospel lesson today, prophets aren't welcome. Got me to thinking, what makes it such that we don't welcome prophets? Perhaps it's because they call us to task. They call us to repentance. They tell us of our need for conversion. Often when we hear this kind of message, we're not that eager. Perhaps it makes us a little nervous of what might be required of us. Maybe we feel a little defensive of the life that we've created and we don't want somebody messing with it. Or maybe it brings to our attention our own wrongdoing and we feel ashamed and that makes us uncomfortable. In the gospel lesson this morning, Jesus tells the people a prophet is not welcome in his own hometown. And this kind of seems like a surprise as we read through this lesson. You know, this follows the gospel lesson we read last week. This just picks up a continuation of the story. And, And you hear of people's enthusiasm and eagerness of what Jesus has shared. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And they say, well, by golly, isn't this Joseph's son? Look at the boy we raised. He's one of us. He's one of ours. And they congratulate themselves and one another on what they see in him. But Jesus tells them, what I've come to share, you probably won't want to hear. And he holds up for them two other prophets and their examples of the refusal of God's people to listen to them. Elijah, the great prophet, the prophet of all prophets. People didn't want to listen to him. It was a woman from Zarephath, somebody outside of God's chosen that finally responded to the truth he was telling. You can read about it in 1 Kings 17. It's a really vivid and amazing story. When Elijah comes to her and it asks her to feed him, and she says, look, I don't know who you are, but I only have enough oil and flour for one more meal for my son and I, and we're going to eat it, and then we're going to die, because there's a drought here. And Elijah says to her, please make a cake for me too. And because she did, she demonstrated her faith, and her oil and her flour never ran out. Jesus is reminding his family and friends of this story. And they're a little incensed by his uppityness. And again, the story of Elisha. No one would respond to the good news that Elisha was proclaiming, except for the Syrian who was able to receive the healing. And by this time, the friends and family of Jesus are really annoyed. Who do you think you are talking to us like this? Where do you get off speaking to us in this way? And we see in the scriptures, they are so angry, they drive him out. A prophet is not welcome. So often a prophet says, look, this is what God says. God says, this is how it's going to go, folks. 
And usually we don't want to hear that. I was reflecting on how to bring this to our contemporary framework and was reminded that Dr. King is often referred to as a prophet. One publication I have refers to him as America's prophet. I'm not yet 50 years old, and so Dr. King has been dead longer than I've been alive. And perhaps, I believe, we are inclined to whitewash his message, forgetting how radical his message was. I recently was talking with a friend who just this past month relayed to me a story. She was in a mixed company of people, and she was talking about Dr. King and the day that would honor him. And one of the, pe- the women in her group said, that man ruined my college experience. And I thought, yeah, protestations, news of beatings and bombings and fire hoses, ugly talk, student bodies getting angry at each other. Perhaps she just wanted to go and learn stuff and maybe pledge to a sorority and maybe meet the person she'd want to be married to the rest of her life. Maybe that's what she thought college would be, and it wasn't. And it's because of the unrest that Dr. King brought to everyone's attention. Near the end of his life, he was talking about the poor people's campaign and spoke about three isms of our society that make poverty a reality and keep poverty um, fully functioning. The three things are racism, materialism, and militarism. Racism, materialism, and militarism. He was killed when he was fighting for those things, to go against those things, to dismantle those things. And I dare say, 50 years after the fact, those things are very much alive in our world. But even to think of even a more contemporary prophet, someone who's even alive now. Some people have called Cornell West a prophet. I'm not sure how many of you all know Cornell West or know of him. It might be, it would be helpful to me if you wouldn't mind raising your hands if you've heard of Cornell West. Okay, good, that's a good number. And if you would raise your hand if you've read his stuff or heard his stuff. Much smaller group. Thank you. Well, as an intellectual and an intellectual congregation, you would do well to know his writings. I'm going to introduce him to you through some quotes of his. One of his quotes is, Never forget that justice is what love looks like in public. Justice is what love looks like in public. Another one. To be a Christian is to live dangerously, honestly, freely, to step in the name of love as if you may land on nothing, yet to keep on stepping because the something that sustains you, no empire can give you and no empire can take away. This is what we're given in Jesus. A new kingdom. A sense of identity. A way forward for living in this world. And no empire can give it to us. And no empire can take it away. It is love. 
and it calls us into dangerous situations. We can't embark on this without conversion, without opening ourselves up to God's reign in our life through Jesus, through saying, I want you to reorient me. I want to live following you, and I can only do that with your direction. That's what the prophets call us to. They point out to us that we can't live the life we long for without conversion. The freedom that we long for is in Jesus. Cornel West says, Liberty means resisting all forms of cultural authoritarianism, be it from the right-wing church, black ideologues, black nationalists, or mainstream white media. We have to accent liberty and freedom of expression and thought in all their forms. Now, why is this so important? It's because we only have our voice. We all only have a voice. And the voice that we have is ours. And it is truly, authentically ours. When I prepare families for baptism and they have to do the three renunciations, I tell them, speak it. Speak against evil. You have a voice to do that. And in so doing, you make room for something new to come about. What it is that you long for, which is a new orientation. And God will give that to you in Jesus. For the powerless, their voice is all they have. And thus the need to make room to hear it. Another quote. Empathy is not simply a matter of trying to imagine what others are going through but having the will to muster enough courage to do something about it. In a way, empathy is predicated upon hope. The will to muster enough courage to do something about it. We hear in our letter from Paul to the Corinthians this morning about faith, hope, and love. These three, and the greatest of them is love, One of the things, though, that we have been given is hope because of what Jesus promises. The church is the bearer of hope. It's because of what God has given us in Jesus that we have hope. Cornel West says, I cannot be an optimist, but I am a prisoner of hope. I appreciate that quote because I believe that we're all imprisoned in something. Maybe you've even used the phrase, I'm a slave to my job or to the paycheck. Maybe you've had a feeling of being trapped and that it's within this little spot that you are relegated and you have to operate. Cornell West says he's a prisoner to hope and it's hope that frames his life and that gives him this sense of his place in the world. In some of my reading I'm doing for my degree, I came across this sentence from a man whose last name is Bosch. He says, The poor and lowly deserve preference, not because they are morally or religiously better than others, but because God is God, in whose eyes the last are first. They deserve preference not because they're better than us, but because God is God, and in God's eyes the last are first.
And so Cornell West, here's another one of his quotes. He says, it's a beautiful thing to be on fire for justice. There is no greater joy than inspiring and empowering others, especially the least of these, the precious and priceless wretched of the earth. In that last phrase, the precious and priceless wretched of the earth, he reminds us of how we relegate people and how we assign folks. Those are the wretched or the outcast. And he's reminding us that in God's eyes, they are precious and priceless. And so we too are called to notice that. In following Jesus, we're asked to go among the lowly and the, and the poor because that's where Jesus goes first. First, that's where Jesus goes. I have been sick this week with grief at the crime that happened in Chicago on Tuesday. Maybe you heard about it because the man is, um, is a movie star. I mean, he's in TV, Jesse Smollett, an African-American man, a gay man. And on Tuesday, he was attacked. And some substance was poured on his skin. And a noose was put around his neck. That's happening in our country. Simply because these crimes happen one by one does not mean that there's not an evil that unites them. He had to get himself to the hospital. I can't imagine the terror that he felt. And I can't imagine the terror that people feel who are like him. Another quote from Cornell. The country is in deep trouble. We have forgotten that a rich life consists fundamentally of serving others, trying to leave the world a little better than you found it. We need the courage to question the powers that be, the courage to be impatient with evil and patient with people, the courage to fight for social justice. In many instances, we will be stepping out on nothing and just hoping to land on something. But that's the struggle. To live is to wrestle with despair, yet never allow despair to have the last word. The prophets wrestled with despair. If you know the story of Elijah, after he has confronted the Baal prophets and demonstrated that our God is a living God and is all-powerful, Queen Jezebel is furious and hunts him. And Elijah runs a day's journey into the wilderness and there leaves his companion and says, I'm going even deeper by myself, don't come. And it's out there that Elijah says to God, just take my life. This is too hard. Jesus said the same thing. He didn't want to do it either. And yet he said, not my will, God, but yours be done. And from the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
It's his life that affected Dr. King. And if you read some of his stuff, you hear the despair in his voice. Nothing is changing like it needs to change. And as I look 50 years out after his death, it's only gotten worse. Ignoring it won't make it go away. I was shielded from it. I was shielded from it for a few decades. And it's still there. And that's the reason we need to face it. The despair that's in the world. And to wrestle with it so that we can see that God goes there first. And if God is still busy there with the lowly and the poor, then let's get busy with God. We can't do this from our own strength. We can only do this with a converted heart. And conversion is ours again and again. We go deeper and deeper into conversion. So first, we need to admit that we need help. I don't know how you might do that, but here are a couple sentences that came to my mind. Perhaps this one fits you. Lord, I don't even know if you exist, but I know that I need you to. Or this one. Lord, I'm trying to build a life of meaning and value, and even with all of my intention, the place is falling down around me. We are called to go where Jesus goes. And I don't want to be late. God has issued the call and promised to be with us and to sustain us in the long haul. And I want to believe God in that. This morning at 9 o'clock, Avril led um, an hour's conversation on pastoral care for transgender and non-binary people. Gender non-binary people. It's important that we learn how to speak to the lowly and the poor, the marginalized in our communities. We need to know what they need because what we all need is faith, hope, and love. And we as the church have that to share. I want to finish with a prayer, and it's the, the uh, hymn that we all sang right before the gospel reading. Let us pray. Lord Christ, when you first came to earth, you were put upon a cross and bound there, and you were mocked. Your kingship, they put a crown of thorns on your head. And still our wrongs today can weave a new crown of thorns that can pierce your steady brow, or we might be making a robe of sorrow to put around you. O oh, awful love, which found no room in life where sin denied you, and you doomed to death. You brought down the powers which crucified you till not a stone was left on stone, and all those nations' pride, it was even overthrown. They went down to dust beside you. New advent of the love of Christ, 
Shall we again refuse you? Till in the night of hate and war, we perish too and lose you? Please, from old unfaith, release our souls so that we can seek the kingdom of your peace by which alone we choose you. O wounded hands of Jesus, build in us your new creation. Our pride is dust. Our vaunt is stilled. We wait for your revelation. O love that triumphs over loss, we bring our hearts before your cross to finish your salvation in us. Amen.